You're listening to the No Nonsense Amateur Radio Podcast, a conversation on where we are and where we're going in the world of amateur radio. Your hosts are Dan, KB6NU, and Tom, KB5RF, for their thoughts today on what's killing amateur radio. Here we go. Dan, what's new with you? Hey, Tom. I'm doing pretty good here. It's kind of hot today, but uh, I think I'll get through it. Yes, Austin turned uh, turned hot on us. We're we're now hitting our hundred degree every day. I wouldn't suggest a visit anytime soon. Uh, I've been there in August. I I know what you mean. Hey, before we get going, you went to Hamvention, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It was it was a blast this year, as usual. Well, I'm sure lots of people are going to be writing all about that. But one of the things we thought we would talk about for this show, since that's our first show, and it's a topic that got us both going back and forth quite a bit together, is what's destroying ham radio, amateur radio. Is it going away? What's the problem? Is that how you see it? What, what would, how would you cast it? Well, I'd, yeah, I'd cast it as more like how amateur radio is changing. It's changing. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, a lot of bloggers, like you say, a lot of bloggers and, and uh, podcasts have uh, talked about this. And they, and they couch it in terms of killing ham radio. It could be the Internet. Uh, could be Millennials. could be FT8. All, all these, uh, all these uh, things are supposedly killing ham radio. And and I I got some links and I'll put these in the show notes too, to these uh, yeah. podcasts. Right, that's the term I was looking for. And I and I think you initially posted something about this a while back, and on one of your uh, blogs. And then I found something. I think I probably sent you the one on Joe Taylor. You know, is is Joe Taylor basically destroying amateur radio? And it went into a fair number of provocative thoughts around that idea. Right, and that and that's one of the links that that I'll I'll have on yeah. the uh, on the website. Well, let's just take this in from our own perspective. What do you what, what do you think? What's let's first talk about what's changing, whether we wanted to change it or not, right now. Right. So so you know, ham radio is changing all the time. You know, life's changing, right? And 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 that's just the way things are go. The way things go. You can't you can't. Like take a snapshot and expect it uh, of of anything, and expect it to be that way forever. Right. So we have, we definitely know that um, a lot of the original hams, I say original hams, but that uh, I mean amateur radio operators from the fifties and the sixties and seventies, they're they're uh, you know either aging out or not interested anymore or not wanting to change or that there's that whole section. But, of course, during that period of time, the kids were born in the 80s and the 90s and even the early 2000s now, come to think of it. They came into a world of the Internet. They came into the world of digital electronics. They came into the world of cell phones. And they just have a different expectation. Right. And, and, and the technology is different. I mean, yeah. when I got in the ham radio, it was, it was still tubes even. <laughs> so talk about the change, you know, that's, uh, that's quite a big change. Okay. So there's the technology change and then there's the human, the human component that's just changing. People are just have less time in many ways. I mean, here, here's, here's a perspective I wanted to pass along on this. I'm fairly new to to the uh, you know my amateur radio license. A couple of years, three years going, I guess. And I spent last year learning CW. And one of the things I did a lot was a lot of reading. And there's a lot of things on the internet about the way it used to be and and all that. And I've listened to many many podcasts as I was getting up to speed per se. But one of the things I recognized was that 
the way, and you could check me out on this. You know, you had you you had to learn Morse code for one thing in order to get your license, and secondly, there were just less diversions. There was less. Less. I, I wouldn't put. I wouldn't say do. diversion. I wouldn't say okay. diversion. I would say less. Um, less activities. Less variety. Less activity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you had. You know, just more time, in essentially. And now it just seems like there are just so many options for people to be doing things, and things are so sped up that there's an expectation that everything get handled right away. Also, so I don't know. I mean, I've, I certainly could. I'm certainly sympathetic to the to, to you know those who are learning it. It's like, how do you fit it into your life? Because you don't have like from eight to eleven at night just to tinker around with it. There's kids and family and. And all that kind of stuff. But what else do you see is changing? Well, well, so it, so it's it's changing within ham radio as well, right? So oh, you yeah. know, back back in the in when I got my license, I mean, you could do uh, Morse code, you could do sideband. Uh, some guys were playing around with big teletype machines, but that was it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now, right. now, ever since we've integrated the computer into ham radio, and it is, um, uh, you know, you, we've got all these digital modes, and uh, we got sat- all these satellites now that you, you really didn't have before, and uh, we just got a whole big world of other things we can do now with ham radio. Yeah, I mean, I know you're not much into contesting, but I know you've done some, and it would seem like to me, look from. From this point, looking back, contesting was um, certainly intense, and there was competitive competition and pressure. But now you've got sometimes multiple displays with multiple, you know, screens and and spots going on. And it's just a whole lot of stuff going on at a very, very fast clip. Oh yeah, these 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 single operator two radio guys are like amazing. Yeah, I, I was at uh, at. Jim George's place in 3BB, and, you know, he was showing me how, you know, you listen in both ears at the same time, two different radios. I was just, I kind of had my, my, crossed my eyes to cross just trying to think about how do you do that exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, other things are changing too, like, like DXing. You know, so Bob K0NR points out in one of his blog posts, uh, in his blog post is, is titled, Is the Internet Destroying Ham Radio? <laughs> <laughs> and and what he says, what he's um, picking up on is how remote stations, remotely operated stations over the internet, is changing how we operate DX. And what I like to say, we're changing the game of DX. And you know, so the question there is, how can you really claim that you worked a DX station if you ran in time on one of these super stations? Yeah. Well, they're not all superstations, uh, but along that line, this last weekend was WPX, right? Yeah. And uh, that was like, my, this is my first year of actually doing some contesting. Last year, I didn't know which end of the paddle you used, what was a did or a dat. I mean, I, li- I, not, I mean, I literally did not know. And contesting with logging and all the other stuff at once is just, just incredibly overwhelming. This yeah. year, I got 110 contacts. I did all search and pounce. But I did it all with a remote station. I'm going to say that over again. I did it all with a remote station um, in Marquette, Michigan, and I'm in uh, Austin, Texas. Now, this was my own remote station I put up there with an in-fed wire antenna and a 7300 ICOM. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, uh, it's a little different take on what you're saying, but it was all done with remote. 
in right. one location. That was a rule. Now, what you're saying is remote, but with those mega stations that remotehams.com or something like that uses. If you, but it costs you money, lots of money to oh, do yeah. that. Oh, it's, yeah. It's incredibly expensive. And, and so, so you're right. So you're right. I would say that your remote station, you know, there was, it, you, you could have easily had that in your house. So, so right. using that is, is pretty much the same as working DX from your house. But these right. remotes, these, these mega stations, super, they call them super stations. I mean, they really do change the game. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, you know, yeah. you, you, you want to work Japan, you log into a remote station in Washington and work the work, work Asia. You want to work Europe, you log into a remote station on the East Coast and work Europe. I, I can totally relate because I couldn't get Japan or China for the life of me. But I've been at these some of these super stations where they'll have stacked Yaggies all pointed just to the West Coast out toward Japan for significant gain. And oh, yeah. It, it was a totally different experience being out there. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, so, the, the, so the, the point here is that the game's changing, right? Physics right, of right. amateur radio isn't changing, but the game of amateur radio is That's changing. That's such a good point. That's excellent. You, you actually had put it in our notes here. You know, it's like propagation is still propagation. Um, that, uh, you know, wavelengths are still wavelengths. Light travels at the same speed. I mean, all the sort of basics are still there. Right. Right? Right. And you know, then the same then the same thing's true about uh, using these new digital modes like FT8 and and yeah, especially especially FT8 that. and JT65, because you know the, the in a way the computer's doing all the work here, and and it's allowing us to to make communications that would be would be impossible before. Right. So let's let's do that. Let's move into FT8, and then I think we have a really novel idea. Uh, well, we think it's a novel idea, anyway, with regards to FTA. But let's let's work ourselves into that, you know. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, we're just well. I mean, it's one of the articles that you'll be posting is are the millennia, millennials? Okay, you know, we'll use the word. Are they killing ham radio? Right. And is it, and is FT8 killing ham radio? Right. And you know, it's like, well, no, not really. It's just changing, as you're saying, but. Um, Let's see, was there anything else we wanted to add around that before we got to the to the key point about that? Well, yeah. So, um, so, so, like a lot of a lot of again, DXers are saying that FT8 is is right. killing. For example, is killing a 160 meter DX. And in what the, I think what they're say, what they're saying is it's killing the way we're current. We're we've currently been doing 160 meter DX. You know, yeah. so so the, the 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 those rules that people use in the past just don't apply anymore. Yeah, and I think if someone's not really familiar with FT8, it uses a very very tiny slice of spectrum in each one of the bands, and it uses very sophisticated digital signal processing to actually pull the signals out of the noise. Right, that's the real key there. And and another key to it is that is the time synchronization. So so we couldn't you know in a way this gets back to the internet. You, you <laughs> couldn't have FTA without the internet because right. you, it would be much more difficult to synchronize the time between the receiving and transmitting stations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so that you know again that's that's this is the way the the game of ham radio is changing. Mm -hmm. You know before we get on call CQ, I mean it's totally asynchronous. Here with FT8, everything's got to be very synchronous. Yeah, it's fabulous. 
And I, I am sympathetic to the battle cry around, it's not amateur radio anymore, it's not DX, it's not, well, okay, as, as you said, it's, it's just not the way it was. There is something I think lovely and probably long-lasting around Morse code and CW in that it does require a brain ultimately to head copy better than you'll ever get on a decoder. It does require being so far. So far, <laughs> you know, Although, when we talked about this a little, a little bit, I just throw this in a little because uh, I've been well, reading more and point. more about artificial intelligence. I think yeah. if, if somebody actually like like took up Morse code as an artificial intelligence programming exercise, I, I mean, it certainly certainly uh, Morse code isn't any more difficult than Go, right? And I just read an article about you know this the Go AI program that's beating world you know, world ch- uh, Go masters. Alpha well, Go. Morse code isn't any more difficult than that. No, it's much easier. I mean, you, now you're in now you're in my uh, wheelhouse here. And right. <laughs> if you hadn't seen if you hadn't seen AlphaGo documentary on Netflix, AlphaGo on Netflix, you really need to watch it. It's it's it it talks about that the whole thing with regards to AI actually having to learn from itself and learning from other masters. It was not done with a set of rules. Someone didn't sit down and write down all the rules for Go because there are more rules than there are grains of sand. So it's phenomenal. And it turns out, down here in Austin, I am working with a couple of guys on training neural networks, not so much to rec... Well, it does recognize uh, Morse code, and in some ways it's very easy because it only has an on and an off, but it is on different frequencies. And what they're trying to do is reconstruct reconstruct the Morse code from very, very noisy signals. And, and when it reconstructs it, it sounds almost pristine. I mean, it's very different from a filter that shapes over it or a narrower filter or this or whatnot. It just snaps out and comes out almost as clean as this, if there was no noise whatsoever. Uh, so he's on the prototype stage in that, and they've been doing hours of. I've been sitting. But, he's, but is he just filtering it? Is he tra- actually trying to decode it? No, it, it's just it's just it's re- it's reconstructing it essentially. The the neural net learns what Morse code is, and uh, and then it reproduces it, it reconstructs it, it reproduces it. It's not decoding, but the decoding thing could very well. You know, I just need to find someone to work with. I can provide the ideas and the direction. I just need someone to do the coding. It takes a lot of work to to code up a, a, a various types of neural nets to do that. But sure. back to the, but that might just be what we get the millennials interested in because that's some, something you buy. You know, <clears throat> one of the things I noticed about uh, amateur radio when I got involved in it was because I have kids and I was trying to understand in my mind why things are different. You know, they're just used to going to the store, buying a radio, which we call a phone, right? Yeah. And I worked at Motorola Semiconductor for 10 years, and, you know, we, we were all into that. You buy a radio, you come home, you open it up, and it just works perfectly. There's no tuning or, <laughs> right. you know, there isn't any of that kind of stuff. And you can instantly speak to someone globally. So, you know, they're not going to be interested in a radio if that's all a radio does for the most part. But they would be interested if it meant applying another layer of technology on top of it that was involved in learning how to do something, teaching the machine how to learn, building intelligent machines. And, and so I think, I think that's, this is where Sterling Coffey's blog post comes in. And what he wrote was, are millennials killing amateur radio? And, of course, the answer is no. But, but what he says is that um, 
Well, he offers a couple of different ideas, one of them being ham radio hackathons. Yes, yes. Talk about a little bit more about that. That's really cool. Yeah, so so th- this could be this could be something somebody could do with a hackathon is is you know layers layer another layer of technology on some radios to actually solve some kind of problem you know be it decoding Morse code or or doing something else yeah Matt moving we'll have to save for another show sometime where we can can get the right invited guest in to talk about cognitive radios because he has his students that are doing that. Right. Yeah. And so, so there, I mean, yeah. So in, in this case, we're just talking about being killing ham radio. The, the idea here is that, hey, n- none of these things are really killing ham radio. Right. They're changing ham radio. Yeah. And, they, and that's, that's what, that's what we got to be thinking about now is, is how, do, how do we, how do we sort of go with the flow here and, 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 and help, help ham radio change itself. Right. It's actually could be very exciting. I have someone. I think so too. Yeah, I've got an Elmer here in Austin who's uh, had showed me FT8 some time ago, and is doing some very advanced work with the with the developers. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, like this is this isn't just something that's going to be like this for the next ten years, you know. Right. It's just it's going to change radically. Well, let's talk about FT8. What we we came up with what we think is a pretty cool idea. And a very novel one, and whether or not anyone likes it or not, may very well happen whether we want to or wants to or not. And that would be this notion of FT8 actually moving into the contest realm and having that be something that's promoted uh, initially by the younger generation. Right. So, so I, you know, I think this would be a, a great project for somebody to, to start working on is to figure out a way to have some sort of FT8 contest that that's not a, again not a traditional contest. Yeah. Well, and in particular, to keep it interesting, this was the piece that I was thinking, having millennial kids and all, they grew up playing on the internet with games, with headsets, globally running games, right, basically, you know, and, and in a collaborative way. They know that, they learn that, they, they, they grew up, not, they didn't grow up with internet, they grew up with Facebook, you know, they grew up in a networked environment. Right. It's just, you know, it's table stakes to have the internet and to have a collaborative layer on top of some kind. And, you know, whether it's texting or whatever the case may be. So what if the FT8 game for the contest was that you have maybe some fixed number of people? I don't know. We'd have to sort of figure that out. And, um, you know, it was a fixed amount of time and some of the traditional rules with bands and things of that nature. But you would um, only... But but then you could have people in different time zones, for instance, or not. Maybe yeah. you could maybe you could just I'll go it alone, and I know it propagation well enough. But the guys who actually had someone in a different time zone as the world turned would have more of an advantage. So you know, just to think through some of those options, so that it's appealing to the millennials. And and not only that, then that makes FT eight a, a more of a collaborative kind of thing, not just the my computer talking to your computer. Thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's 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 really where industry's going in general. Um, you know, Gary Gasparov, who lost against IBM Deep Blue in 1997, the chess, the chess master, after he was totally demoralized and basically left the professional chess playing role, everyone thought chess playing was pretty like, who would want to play anymore if the computer won all the time? What he yeah. found out from playing his friends was that they were all getting much better at chess. 
significantly better at chess because they were playing simulators. So then they came up with this idea of freestyle chess, which is quite fascinating. That's what I was originally basing some of this idea around. And freestyle means that you, Dan, get to have your own team, three, four, five people, uh, to you know, uh, to 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 you know, each one running a different simulator, and maybe one person doing a, a network support. But in the time that it takes to make your turn, I can't remember if it's thirty minutes or whatever. Then being you got you're the guy that has to make the responsible move for everybody for the team. But you got to base it on the team, and the team has to be collaborating not just with one another, but with the computers. I, Tom Parrish, get to have my own team with as many people as I need. And uh, in this fixed environment, in these set rules, and uh, I have 30 minutes to decide. But, you know, I have to work with the team to decide that. That's requiring them to do something, but it's requiring them to do something they like to do, that they want to do. That's really preparing them for the world because that's what we have now, our teams of people. Everybody's, everybody's computer's fast enough. We don't go, we don't do what we used to do in the late 90s and the 2000s, which is if you buy this computer and put, it on, and put your business on the computer, you'd be more competitive. We don't say that. We don't go back and say if you put more memory in the computer, you'd have, you know, you could right. be more competitive in the, for your business. No, it's not needed. Right, right. The value added now is in the data. It's, it's in, well, it's two things. It's in the data and it's in how you work with others. Yeah, yeah. That's the key part. And you could do it solo, but you'll be better when you work with others. That's the thing. And when you force them to work across different time zones globally, that puts a whole new spin on the whole thing from an enlightenment perspective. Oh, we have to get along with one another. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, I think this is a great idea. I, 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 I don't know how we, how we take it from here, but uh, uh, I'd like to throw this out and uh, to get some comments on it and... Uh, See what see what happens because I th I think this is uh, this is the way we want to go with uh, ham radio and uh, and the you know the the whole thing here is you know ham radio is not dying off we're killing old ways of doing ham radio but if that means um, uh, coming up with great new ways to use ham radio I'd say let's kill it <laughs> <laughs> and you know what probably Morse code will be along be around for a long time. I think, think so too. It'll be a long like like Charlton Heston to paraphrase Charlton Heston, CW won't be dead till they pry my begali from my cold dead fingers. <laughs> All right, well good. Thank you, Dan. I can't wait to our next conversation. Hey, thank you, Tom. You've been listening to the No Nonsense Amateur Radio Podcast with Dan KB6NU and Tom KB5RF. For links to internet resources mentioned on the show and other notes, visit nonsenseamateurradio.com. For more information about amateur radio in general, visit Dan's blog at kb6nu.com. 73.